chapter twenty of ardath by marie corelli this librivox recording is in the public domain the passage of the tombs saluma stirred uneasily and smiled in his sleep more wine he muttered thickly more more i say what wilt thou stint the generous juice that warms my soul to song pour pour out lavishly i will mix the honey of thy luscious lips with the crimson bubbles on this goblet's brim and the taste thereof shall be as nectar dropped from paradise nay nay i will drink to none but myself to the immortal bard saluma poet of poets named first and greatest on the scroll of fame ay tis a worthy toast and merits a deeper draught of mellow vintage fill fill again the world is but the drunken dream of a god poet and we but the mad revellers of a shadow day twill pass twill pass let us enjoy ere all is done drown thought in wine and love and music wine and music his voice broke in a short smothered sigh theo surveyed him with mingled impatience pity and something of repulsion and there was a warm touch of indignant remonstrance in his tone when he called again saluma rouse thee man for very shame's sake art thou dead to the honour of thy calling that thou dost wilfully consent to be the victim of wine-bibbing and debauchery o thou frail soul how hast thou quenched the heavenly essence within thee why wilt thou be thus self-disgraced and all inglorious saluma saluma and he shook him violently by the arm up up thou truant to the faith of art i will not let thee drowse the hours away in such unseemliness wake for the night is almost past the morning is at hand and danger threatens thee wouldst thou be found here drunk at sunrise this time saluma was thoroughly disturbed and with a half-uttered oath he sat up pushed his tumbled hair from his brows and stared at his companion in blinking sleepy wonderment now by my soul thou art a most unmannerly ruffian he said pettishly yet with a vacant smile what question didst thou bawl unmusically in mine ear will i be drunk at sunrise ay and at sunset too sir malapert if that will satisfy thee hast thou been grudged sufficient wine that thou dost envy me my slumber what dost thou hear where hast thou been and becoming more conscious of his surroundings he suddenly stood up and catching hold of theos to support himself gazed upon him suspiciously with very dim and bloodshot eyes art thou fresh from the arms of the ravishing nalida is she not fair a choice morsel for a lover's banquet doth she not dance a madness into the veins ay ay she was reserved for thee my jolly roisterer but thou art not the first nor wilt thou be the last that hath revelled in her store of charms no matter and he laughed foolishly better a wild dancer than a tame prude here he looked about him in confused bewilderment where is lycia was she not here a moment since 
and he staggered toward the neighboring pavilion and dashed the dividing curtain aside lycia lycia he shouted noisily then receiving no answer he flung himself down on the vacant couch of roses and gathering up a handful of the crumpled flowers kissed them passionately the witch has flown he said laughing again that mirthless stupid laugh as he spoke she doth love to tantalize me thus tell me what dost thou think of her is she not a peerless moon of womanhood doth she not eclipse all known or imaginable beauty ay and i will tell thee a secret she is mine mine from the dark tresses down to the dainty feet mine all mine so long as i shall please to call her so notwithstanding that the foolish people of alciris think she is impervious to love self-centred holy and immaculate bah as if a woman ever was immaculate but mark you though she loves me me crowned laureate of the realm she loves no other man and why because no other man is found half so worthy of love all men must love her nergalus loved her and he is dead because of overmuch presumption and many there be who shall still die likewise for love of her but i am her chosen and elected one her faith is mine her heart is mine her very soul is mine mine i would swear though all the gods of the past present and future denied her constancy here his uncertain wandering gaze met the grave pained and almost stern regard of theos why dost thou stare thus owl-like upon me he demanded irritably art thou not my friend and worshipper wilt preach wilt moralize on the folly of the time the vices of the age thou lookest it but prithee hold thy peace and thou lovest me we can but live and die and there's an end all's over with the best and wisest of us soon let us be merry while we may and he tossed a cluster of roses playfully in the air catching them as they fell again in a soft shower of severed fluttering pink and white petals theos listened to his rambling unguarded words with a sense of acute personal sorrow here was a man young handsome and endowed with the rarest gift of nature a great poetic genius a man who had attained in early manhood the highest worldly fame together with the friendship of a king and the love of a people yet what was he in himself a mere petty egoist a poor deluded fool the unresisting prey of his own passions the besotted slave of a, of a treacherous woman and the voluntary degrader of his own life what was the use of genius then if it could not aid one to overcome self what was the worth of fame if it were not made to serve as a bright incentive and noble example to others of less renown as this thought passed across his mind theos sighed he felt curiously conscience-stricken ashamed and humiliated through saluma and solely for saluma's sake at present however his chief anxiety was to get his friend safely out of lycia's pavilion before she should return to it and his spirit chafed within him at each moment of enforced delay come come saluma he said at last gently yet with persuasive earnestness come away from this place the feast is over the fair ones are gone why should we linger thou art half asleep believe me tis time thou wert home and at rest lean upon me so that is well this as the other rose unsteadily to his feet and lurched heavily against him now let me guide thee though of a truth i know not the way 
through this wondrous woodland maze canst tell me whither we should turn or hast thou no remembrance of the nearest road to thine own dwelling thus speaking he managed to lead his stupefied companion out of the tent into the cool dewy garden where feeling somewhat refreshed by the breath of the night wind blowing on his face saluma straightened himself and made an absurd attempt to look exceedingly dignified nay and thou wilt depart with such scant ceremony he grumbled peevishly get thee thence and find out the road as best thou mayest why should i aid thee for myself i am well contented here to remain and sleep no better couch can the poet have than this violet scented moss and he waved his arm with a grandiloquent gesture no grander canopy than this star besprinkled heaven leave me for my eyes are wondrous heavy and i would fain slumber undisturbed till the break of day by my soul thou art a rough companion and he struggled violently to release himself from theos's resolute and compelling grasp where wouldst thou drag me out of danger in the shadow of death replied theos firmly thy life is threatened saluma and i will not see thee slain if thou canst not guard thyself then i must guard thee come delay no longer i beseech thee do i not love thee friend and would i urge thee thus without good reason o thou misguided soul thou dost most ignorantly court destruction but if my strength can shield thee thou shalt not die before thy time and he hurried his pace half leading half carrying the reluctant poet who however was too drowsy and lethargic to do more than feebly resent his action and thus they went together along a broad path that seemed to extend itself in a direct line straight across the grounds but which in reality turned and twisted about through all manner of perplexing nooks and corners now under trees so closely interwoven that not a glimpse of the sky could be seen through the dense darkness of the cross boughs now by gorgeous banks of roses pale yellow and white that looked like frozen foam in the dying glitter of the moon now beneath very light trellis work overgrown with jasmine and people by thousands of dancing fireflies while at every undulating bend or sharp angle in the road theos's heart beat quickly in fear lest they should meet some armed retainer or spy of lycias who might interrupt their progress or perhaps peremptorily forbid their departure nothing of the kind happened or seemed likely to happen the splendid gardens were all apparently deserted and not a living soul was anywhere to be seen presently through an archway of twisted magnolia stems theos caught a glimpse of the illuminated pool with the marble nymph in its centre which had so greatly fascinated him on his first arrival and he pressed forward eagerly knowing that now they could not be very far from the gates of exit all at once the tall figure of a man clad in complete armour came into sudden view between some heavily drooping boughs it stood out for a second and then hurriedly disappeared muffling his face in a black mantle as it fled not however before theos had recognised those dark haughty features those relentless brows and that stern almost lurid smile and with a quick convulsive movement he grasped his companion's arm hissed saluma he whispered saw you not the king saluma started as though he had received a dagger thrust his very lips turned pale in the moonlight the king he echoed with an accent of incredulous amazement the king thou art mad it could not be where didst thou see him in silence theos pointed to the dark shrubbery saluma shook himself free of his friend's hold and standing erect gazed in the direction indicated with an expression of mingled fear distrust bewilderment and wrath on his features he was suddenly but effectually sobered and all the delicate beauty of his face came back like the rich tone of a fine picture restored his hand fell instinctively toward the jewelled hilt of the poignard at his belt 
the king he muttered under his breath the king then his coast rule right after all and must one learn wisdom from a madman by my soul if i thought here he checked himself abruptly and turned upon theos nay thou art deceived he said with a forced smile twas not the king twas some rash unknown intruder whose worthless life must pay the penalty of trespass and he drew his flashing weapon from his sheath this shall unmask him and thou my friend get thee away and home fear nothing for my safety go hence and quickly i'll follow thee anon and before theos could utter a word of warning he plunged impetuously into the innermost recess of the dense foliage behind which the mysterious armed figure had just vanished and was instantly lost to sight saluma saluma called theos passionately come back whether wilt thou go saluma only silence answered him silence rendered even more profound by the subdued faint rustling of the wind among the leaves and agitated by all manner of vague alarms and dreary forebodings he stood still for a moment hesitating as to whether he should follow his friend or no some instinct stronger than himself however persuaded him that it would be best to continue his road he therefore went on slowly hoping against hope that saluma might still rejoin him but herein he was disappointed he waited a little while near the illuminated water dreamily eyeing the beautiful marble nymph crowned with her wreath of amethystine flame she resembled lycaeus somewhat he thought only this was a frozen fairness while the peerless charms of the cruel high priestess were those of living flesh and blood yet the remembrance of all the tenderly witching loveliness that might have been his had he slain saluma at her bidding now moved him neither to regret nor lover's passion but only touched his spirit with a sense of bitter repulsion while a strange pity for the poet laureate's infatuation awoke in him pity that any man could be so reckless blind and desperate as to love a woman for her mere perishable beauty of body and never care to know whether the graces of her mind were equal to the graces of her form we men have yet to learn the true meaning of love he mused rather sadly we consider it from the selfish standpoint of our own unbridled passions we willingly accept a fair face as the visible reflex of a fair soul and nine times out of ten we are utterly mistaken we begin wrongly and we therefore end miserably we should love a woman for what she is and not for what she appears to be yet how are we to fathom her nature how shall we guess how can we decide are we fooled by an evil fate or do we in our loves and marriages deliberately fool ourselves he pondered the question hazily without arriving at any satisfactory answer and as saluma still did not return he resumed his slow unguided and solitary way he presently found himself in a close buscage of tall trees straight as pines and covered with very large thick leaves that exhaled a peculiarly faint odour and here pausing abruptly he looked anxiously about him this was certainly not the avenue through which he had previously come with saluma and he soon felt uncomfortably convinced that he had somehow taken the wrong path perceiving a low iron gate standing open in front of him he went thither and discovered a steep stone staircase leading down down into what seemed to be a vast well black and empty as a starless midnight peering doubtfully into this gloomy pit he fancied he saw a small blue flame wavering to and fro at the bottom and pricked by a sudden impulse of curiosity he made up his mind to descend he went down slowly and cautiously counting each step as he placed his foot upon it there were a hundred steps in all and at the end the light he had seen completely vanished leaving him in the most profound darkness confused and startled he stretched out his hands instinctively as a blind man might do and thus came in contact with something sharp pointed and icy cold like the frozen talon of a dead bird 
shuddering at the touch he recoiled and was about to try and grope his way up the stairs again when the light once more appeared this time casting a thin slanting azure blaze through the dense shadows and he was able gradually to realize the horrors of the place into which he had unwittingly adventured one faint cry escaped his lips and then he was mute and motionless chilled to the very heart a great awe and speechless dread overwhelmed him for he a living man and fully conscious of life stood alone surrounded by a ghastly multitude of skeletons skeletons bleached white as ivory and glistening with a smooth moist polish as a pearl shoulder to shoulder arm against arm they stood placed upright and as close together as possible every bony hand held a rusty spear and on every skull gleamed a small metal cask inscribed with hieroglyphic characters thousands of eyeless sockets seemed to turn toward him in blank yet questioning wonder suggesting awfully to his mind that the eyes might still be there fallen far back into the head from whence they yet saw themselves unseen thousands of grinning jaws seemed to mock at him as he leaned half fainting against the damp weed-grown portal he fancied he could hear the derisive laugh of death echoing horribly through those dimly distant arches this this he thought wildly was the sequel to his brief and wretched history for this one end he had wandered out of the ways of his former life and forgotten almost all he had ever known here was the only poor finale an all-wise and all-potent god could contrive for the close of his marvellous symphony of creative love and light ah cruel cruel then there was no justice no pity no compensation in all the width and breadth of the universe if death indeed was the end of everything and god of the great force called by that name was nothing but a tyrant and torturer of his helpless creature man so thinking dully and feebly he pressed his hand on his aching eyes to shut out the sight of that grim crowd of fleshless rigid shapes that everywhere confronted him the darkness of the place seemed to descend upon him crushingly and reeling forward he would have fallen in a swoon had not a strong hand suddenly grasped his arm and supported him firmly upright how now my son said a grave musical voice that had in it a certain touch of compassion what ails thee and why art thou here art thou condemned to die or dost thou seek an escape from death making an effort to overcome the sick giddiness that confused his brain he looked up a bright lamp flared in his eyes contrasting so dazzlingly with the surrounding gloom that for a moment he was half blinded by its brilliancy but presently steadying his gaze he was able to discern the dark outline of a tall black garmented figure standing beside him the figure of an old man whose severe and dignified aspect at first reminded him somewhat of the prophet coast rule only that close rule's rugged features had borne the impress of patient long-endured bitter suffering and the personage who now confronted him had a face so calm and seriously impassive that it might have been taken for that of one newly dead from whose lineaments all traces of earthly passion had forever been smoothed away art thou condemned to die or dost thou seek an escape from death the question had or seemed to have a curious significance it reiterated itself almost noisily in his ears his mind was troubled by vague surmises and dreary forebodings speech was difficult to him and his lips quivered pathetically when he at last found force to frame his struggling thoughts into language escape from death he murmured gazing wildly around as he spoke on the vast skeleton crowd that encircled him old man dost thou also talk of dreamlike impossibilities wilt thou also maintain a creed of hope when naught awaits us but despair art thou fooled likewise with the glimmering soul mirage of a never-to-be-realized future escape from death how and where art not these dry and vacant forms sufficiently eloquent 
of the all-omnipotence of decay and he caught his unknown companion almost fiercely by the long robe while a sound that was half a sob and half a sigh came from his aching throat lo you how emptily they stare upon us how frozen piteous is their smile poor poor frail shapes nay who would think these hollow shells of bone had once been men men with strong hearts warm flowing blood and throbbing pulses men of thought and action who maybe did most nobly bear themselves in life upon the earth and yet are now forgotten men ah great heaven can it be that these most rueful loathly things have loved and hoped and laboured through all their days for such an end as this escape from death alas there is no escape tis evident we all must die die and with dust quenched eyes and learn our knowledge of the sun the stars the marvels of the universe for us no more shall the flowers bloom or the sweet birds sing the poem of the world will write itself anew in every roseate flushing of the dawn but we we who have enjoyed therein we who have sung the praises of the light the harmonies of wind and sea the tunefulness of woods and fields we whose ambitious thoughts have soared archangel-like through unseen empyreans of space there to drink in a honeyed hope of heaven we shall be but dead mute cold and stirless as deep undug stones dead ah god thou utmost cruelty and in a sudden excess of grief and passion he raised one hand and shook it aloft with a menacing gesture would i might look upon thee face to face and rebuke thee for thy merciless injustice he spoke wildly as though possessed by a sort of frenzy his unknown companion heard him with an air of mild and pitying patience peace peace blaspheme not the most high my son he said gently yet reproachfully distraught as thou dost seem with some strange misery and sick with fears forbear thine ignorant fury against him who hath for love's dear sake alone created thee control thy soul in patience surely thou art afflicted by thine own vain and false imaginings which for a time contort and darken the clear light of truth why dost thou thus disquiet thyself concerning the end of life seeing that verily it hath no end and that what we men call death is not a conclusion but merely a new beginning waste not thy pity on these skeleton forms the empty dwellings of martial spirits long since fled as well weep over fallen husks of corn from which the blossoms have sprung right joyously upward this world is but our roadside hostelry wherein we heaven-bound sojourners tarry for one brief restless night why regret the loss of the poor refreshment offered thee here when there are a thousand better feasts awaiting thee elsewhere on thy way come let me lead thee hence this place is known as the passage of the tombs and communicates with the inner court of the sacred temple and if as i fear thou art a stray fugitive from the accursed lycia's band of lovers thou mayest be tracked hither and quickly slain come i will show thee a secret labyrinth by which thou canst gain the embankment of the river and from thence betake thyself speedily home if thou hast a home here he paused and a keen questioning glance flashed in his dark eyes but notwithstanding thy fluency of speech and fashion of attire methinks thou hast the lost and solitary air of one who is a stranger in the city of alciris theo sighed a stranger i am indeed he said drearily a stranger to my very self and all my former belongings ask me no questions good father for as i live i cannot answer them i am oppressed by a nameless and mysterious suffering my brain is darkened my thoughts but half formed and never wholly uttered and i i who once deemed human intelligence and reason all supreme all clear all absolute am now compelled to use that reason 
reasonlessly and to work with that intelligence in helpless ignorance as to what end my mental toil shall serve woeful and strange it is yet true i am as a broken straw in a whirlwind or the pale ghost of my own identity groping for things forgotten in a land of shadows i know not whence i came nor whither i go nay do not fear me i am not mad i am conscious of my life my strength and physical well-being and though i may speak wildly i harbour no ill intent toward any man my quarrel is with god alone he paused then resumed in calmer accents you judge rightly reverend sir i am a stranger in alciris i entered the city gates this morning when the sun was high and ere noon i found courteous welcome and princely shelter i am the guest of the poet saluma the old man looked at him half compassionately ah saluma is thine host he said with a touch of melancholy surprise in his tone then wherefore art thou here here in this dark abode where none may linger and escape with life how earnest thou within the bounds of lycia's fatal plaisance has the laureate's friendship thus misguided thee theus hesitated before replying he was again moved by that curious instinctive dread of hearing saluma's name associated with any sort of reproach and his voice had a somewhat defiant ring as he answered nay surely i am neither child nor woman that i should weakly yield to guidance or misleading some trifling matter of free will remains to me in spite of mine affliction and that i have supped with saluma at the palace of the high priestess has been as much my choice as his example who among men would turn aside from high feasting and mirthful company not i believe me and saluma's desires herein were but the reflex of mine own we came together through the woodland and parted but a moment since he stopped abruptly startled by a sudden clash as of steel and the tramp-tramp of approaching feet his aged companion caught him by the arm hush he whispered not a word more not a breath or thy life must pay the penalty quick follow me close step softly there is a hiding-place near at hand where we may couch unseen till these dread visitants pass by moving stealthily and with anxious precaution he led the way to a niche hollowed deeply out in the thickness of the wall and turning his lamp aside so that not the faintest glimmer of it could be perceived he took theos by the hand and drew him into what seemed to be a huge cavernous recess utterly dark and icy cold here crouching low in the furthest gloom they both waited silently theos ignorant as to the cause of the sudden alarm and wondering vaguely what strange new circumstance was about to happen the measured tramp tramp of feet came nearer and nearer and in another moment the flare of smoking torches illumined the vaulted passage casting many a ruddy flicker and flash on the ivory gleaming whiteness of the vast skeleton army that stood with such grim and pallid patience as though waiting for a marching signal presently there appeared a number of half-naked men carrying short axes stained with blood coarse savage cruel-looking brutes all whose lowering faces bore the marks of a thousand unrepented crimes these were followed by four tall personages clad in flowing white robes and closely masked and finally there came a band of black slaves clothed in vivid scarlet dragging between them two writhing bleeding creatures one a man the other a girl in her earliest youth both convulsed by the evident last agonies of death arrived at the centre of that part of the vault where the skeleton crowd was thickest this horrible cortege halted while one of the masked personages undid from his girdle a large bunch of keys and now theos watching everything with dreadful interest from the obscure corner where he was thanks to his unknown friend successfully concealed perceived for the first time a low iron door heavily barred and surmounted by sharp spikes as long as drawn daggers 
when this dreary portal was with many a jarring groan and clang slowly opened such an awful cry broke from the lips of the tortured man as might have wrung compassion from the most hardened tyrant resting himself fiercely out of the grasp of the slaves who held him he struggled to his feet while the blood poured from the cruel wounds that were inflicted all over his body and raising his manacled hands aloft he cried mercy mercy not for me but for her for her my love my life my tenderest little one what is her crime ye fiends why do ye, ye deem love a sin and passion a dishonour shall there be no more heart longings because ye are cold spare her she is so young so fond so innocent of all reproach save one the shame of loving me spare her or if ye will not spare slay her at once now now with swift compassionate sword but cast her not alive into yon hideous serpent's den not alive ah no no ye gods have pity here his voice broke and a sudden light passed over his agonized countenance gazing steadfastly at the girl whose beautiful white body now lay motionless on the cold stone with a cloud of fair hair falling veil-like over it his eyes seemed to strain themselves out of their sockets in the intensity of his eager regard when all at once he gave vent to a wild peal of delirious laughter and exclaimed dead dead thanks be to the merciless gods for this one gift of grace at the last dead dead oh the blessed favour and freedom of death sweetheart they can torture thee no more no more ah devils that ye are and his voice grown frantically loud pierced the gloomy arches with terrible resonance as he saw the red-garmented slaves vainly endeavouring to rouse with ferocious blows and thrust new life in the fair stiffening corpse before them this time ye are baffled baffled and i live to see your vanquishment give her to me and he stretched out his trembling arms give her she is dead and ye cannot offer to nagaya any lifeless thing i will weave her a shroud of her own gold hair i will bury her softly away in the darkness i will sing to her as i used to sing in the silent summer evenings when we fancied our secret of forbidden love unknown and with my lips on hers i will pray pray for the pardon of passion grown stronger than life he ceased and swing forward fell a shiver ran through his limbs one deep gasping sigh and all was over the band of torturers gathered round the body uttering fierce oaths and exclamations of dismay both dead said one of the individuals in white tis a most fatal augury fatal indeed said another and turning to the men with the blood-stained axes he added angrily ye were too swift and lavish of your weapons ye should have let these criminals suffer slowly inch by inch and yet have left them life enough wherewith to linger on in anguish many hours the wretches thus addressed looked sullen and humiliated and approaching the two corpses would have brutally inflicted fresh wounds on them had not the seeming chief of the party interfered let be let be he said austerely ye cannot cause the dead to feel would that it were possible then might the glorious and god-like thirst of vengeance in our great high priestess be somewhat more appeased in this matter for the unlawful communion of love between a vestal virgin and an anointed priest cannot be too utterly abhorred and condemned and these twain who thus did foully violate their vows have perished far too easily the sanctity of the temple has been outraged lycia will not be satisfied and how shall we pacify her righteous wrath concerning this too tranquil death of the undeserving and impure drawing all together in a close group they held a whispered consultation and finally appearing to have come to some sort of decision they took up the dead bodies one after another and flung them carelessly into the dark aperture lately unclosed as they did this a stealthy rustling sound was heard as of some great creature moving to and fro in the far interior but they soon locked and barred the iron portal once more and then took their departure rather hurriedly leaving the vault by the way theos had entered it namely up the stone stairway that led into lycia's palace gardens 
as the last echo of their retreating steps died away and the last glimmer of their lurid torches vanished fields sprang out from his hiding-place his venerable companion slowly followed oh god can such things be he cried loudly reckless of all possible risk for himself as his voice rang penetratingly through the deep silence were these brute murderers actual men or but the wandering grim shadows of some long past crime nay surely i do but dream and ghouls and demons born out of nightmare sleep do vex my troubled spirit justice justice for the innocents is there none in all alciris none replied the old man who stood beside him lamp in hand fixing his dark melancholy eyes upon him as he spoke none neither in alciris nor in any other great city on the peopled earth justice i who am named zuriel the mystic because of my tireless searching into things that are hidden from the unstudious and unthinking i know that justice is an idle name an empty braggart word forever on the mouths of kings and judges but never in their hearts moreover what is guilt what is innocence both must be defined according to the law of the realm wherein we dwell and from that law there can be no appeal these men we lately saw were the chief priests and executioners of the sacred temple they have done no wrong they have simply fulfilled their duty the culprits slain deserve their fate they loved where loving was forbidden torture and death was the strictly ordained punishment and herein was justice justice as portioned out by the penal code of the high court of council the ears heard and gave an expressive gesture of loathing and contempt oh narrow jurisdiction oh short-sighted false equity he exclaimed passionately are there different laws for high and low must the weak and defenceless be condemned to death for the self-same sin committed openly by their more powerful brethren who yet escape scot-free what of the high priestess then if these poor lover victims merited their doom why is not lycia slain is not she a willingly violated vestal does she not count her lovers by the score are not her vows long since broken is not her life a life of wanton luxury and open shame why doth the law beholding these things remain in her case dumb and ineffectual hush hush my son said the aged zuriel anxiously these stone walls hear thee far too loudly who knows but they may echo forth thy words to unsuspected listeners peace peace lycia is as much queen as zephyronum is king of alciris and surely thou knowest that the sins of tyrants are accounted virtues so long as they retain their ruling powers the public voice pronounces lycia chaste and zephyronum faithful who then shall dare to disprove the verdict tis the same in all countries near and far the law serves the strong while professing to defend the weak the rich man gains his cause the beggar loses it how can it be otherwise while lust of gold prevails gold is the moving force of this our era without it kings and ministers are impotent and armies starve with it all things can be accomplished even to the concealment of the foulest crimes come come and he laid one hand kindly on theos's arm thou hast a generous and fiery spirit but thou shouldst never have been born into this planet if thou seekest such a thing as justice no man will ever deal true justice to his fellow-man on earth unless perhaps in ages to come when the old creeds are swept away for a new and a grander wider purer form of faith is accepted by the people for religion in alciris to-day is a hollow mockery a sham kept up partly from fear partly from motives of policy but every thinker is an atheist at heart our splendid civilization is tottering towards its fall and should the foredoomed destruction of this city come to pass vast ages of progress discovery and invention will be swept away as though they had never been he paused and sighed then continued sorrowfully there is there must be something wrong in the mechanism of life some little hitch that stops the even wheels some curious perpetual mischance that crosses us at every turn but i doubt not all is for the best and will prove most truly 
so hereafter hereafter echoes theos bitterly thinkest thou that even god repenting of the evil he hath done will ever be able to compensate us by any future bliss for all the needless anguish of the present zuriel looked at him with a strange almost spectral expression of mingled pity fear and misgiving but he offered no reply to this home thrust of a question in grave silence and with slow majestic tread he began to lead the way along through the dismal labyrinth of black winding arches holding his blue lamp aloft as he went the better to lighten the dense gloom theos followed him silent also and wrapped in stern and mournful musings of his own musings through which faint threads of pale recollection connected with his past glimmered hazily from time to time perplexing rather than enlightening his bewildered brain presently he found himself in a low narrow vestibule illumined by the bright yet soft radiance of a suspended star and here coming close up with his guide and observing his dress and manner more attentively he suddenly perceived a shining something which the old man wore hanging from his neck and which flashed against the sable hue of his garment like a wandering moonbeam stopping abruptly he examined this ornament with straining wistful gaze and slowly very slowly recognized its fashion of construction it was a plain silver cross nothing more yet at sight of the sacred strange yet familiar symbol a cord seemed to snap in his brain tears rushed to his tired eyes and with a sharp cry he fell on his knees grasping his companion's robe wildly as a drowning man grasps at a floating spar while the venerable zuriel startled at his action stared down upon him in evident amazement and terror rescue rescue he cried o thou blessed among men thou dost wear the sign of eternal safety the sign of the way the truth and the life without the way there is no going without the truth there is no knowing without the life there is no living now do i know thee for a saint in alciris for thou dost openly avow thyself a follower of the divine faith that fools despise and selfish souls repudiate ah i do beseech thee thou good and holy man absolve me of my sin of unbelief teach me help me and i will hear thy counsels with the meekness of a listening child see you i kneel i pray i even i am humiliated to the very dust of shame i have no pride i seek no glory i do entreat even as i once rejected the blessing of the cross whereby i shall regain my lost love my despised pardon my vanished peace and with pathetic earnestness he raised his hands towards the silver emblem and touched it tenderly reverently then as though unworthy he bent his head low and waited eagerly for a name a name that he himself could not remember a name suggested by the cross but not declared if that name were once spoken in the form of a benediction he felt instinctively that he would straightway be released from the mysterious spell of misery that bound his intelligence in such a grievous thrall but not a word of consolation did his companion utter on the contrary he seemed agitated by the stranger's surprise and alarm now may all the gods in heaven defend thee thou unhappy desperate distracted soul he said in trembling affrighted accents thou dost implore the blessing of a faith unknown a mystery predicted but not yet fulfilled a creed that shall not be declared to men for full five thousand years End of chapter twenty